It is uh, so good to be with you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Joe. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to dive into God's Word as we continue in Mark uh, chapter 12. But before we begin, um, I want to ask you a question. Think of a time when you were asked way too many questions. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that person in your life that just asks you question after question after question? Or what about this, someone that asks you a really difficult question? Think about that for a moment. Who was that person or that group? What happened? I remember when I, uh, when I landed my first full-time ministry job as a, as a youth pastor down in San Diego, and I had one final interview left to go before I got the job. And so I showed up for my last interview at the church, and I met with a lead pastor, and he walked me around the campus and was just like, here's what we're all about. And he asked me a few questions, and uh, it was going really well. And then he proceeded to tell me, hey, here's, here's the schedule for the rest of the evening. And he goes, Joe, here's the plan. First, you're going to meet with me, what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Next, you're going to meet with all of the volunteer youth leaders so they can get to know you, ask you some questions. Then you're going to meet with um, the staff so they can get to know you, ask you some questions, all the staff. And then after that, you're going to meet with all the elders. And they're going to ask you some questions and get to know you. And I was sitting there. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So there I was during my last interview. I had to meet with 20 plus people, four meetings over the course of four hours. And they asked me so many questions. I was exhausted. So many questions. And they were good questions. They were good questions about life and family and and faith. And then one of the elders around nine o'clock at night, I'm just want to go to bed. My wife, Amanda, was with me, and he he looked at me, he said, hey, Joe, do you want to be a pastor when you grow up? And I kind of like looked at him, and I'm like, I thought that's why I'm here, (laughs) to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor. Is that my title? At the end of the night, I was just exhausted and tired, but but here's the thing, and here's the reason why I tell you the story. I know that the people asking me the questions that day, all 20 plus of them, they were there because they truly wanted to get to know me. They truly wanted to learn, and I wanted to learn about their story and vice versa. They were for me, and they weren't against me. In today's text, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, we continue to see the religious leaders of the day questioning Jesus in Jerusalem. However, this was not a get-to-know-you meeting. The religious leaders were clashing with Jesus, and they're asking question after question in order to trip him up in order to bring shame to his name, and ultimately, ultimately in order to get rid of him. And so the religious leaders just kept jabbing at Jesus. It's no fun to be poked at. It's no fun to be jabbed at. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus listens, and then he speaks, answering each question thrown his way despite the evil intentions behind the questions and the people there. On this particular day in Jerusalem, questions are coming from all directions. There's one group that's asking about Jesus' authority. There's another group asking about questions about paying taxes in order to trip Jesus up. And another group talks to Jesus about his belief about the resurrection and the afterlife. They all want to trap Jesus. They want Jesus to know that you are not wanted here, that you are not welcome here. And so as we read Mark chapter 12, we can really feel the tension in the text. It's a tension that a lot of us um, and our friends and within our culture, we can see um, kind of these questions. Jesus, who made you boss over my life? Jesus, why should I give you any of my loyalty? 
Jesus, are you really, are you really able to answer all the difficult questions about God and about life? And so as we begin, I want us to be thinking about this specific question. What does God want? What does God desire? And in the text, we'll take a look at four things. First, a curious scribe asks Jesus a specific question. Second, Jesus answers the scribe's question. Third, the scribe approves of Jesus' answer. And fourth, Jesus affirms the scribe. He lets the scribe know that he's on the right track and he offers him an invitation. So will you follow with me in uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. It'll also be up on the screen for you if you need it. It says this, today's passage. And one of the scribes came up and heard them, Jesus and the religious elite, disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other God beside him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him, Jesus, any more questions. Will you pray with me as we begin and jump into this? Lord, thank you so much uh, for this passage. For some of us, um, it might be new. For others of us, it might be very familiar. Lord, the great commandment that Jesus lays out here in Mark chapter 12. Lord, in these two sentences, may, may we understand more of who you are, more of what you want. May we live a life, Lord, that honors you, and may we just continue to put more of our faith and trust in your son, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So first up, a scribe asks Jesus a specific question. While all the religious leaders were clashing with Jesus, a scribe on the edge of the crowd decides to join in on the conversation. Verse 28, the beginning of it. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. One of the scribes. Who were the scribes? The scribes were the Bible experts. The scribes specialized in interpreting the law, God's commands. The scribes were, they were theological scholars, most likely part of the, the group of Pharisees. And here's the thing. They knew their Bible very well. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, that he gave a good answer, he asked him this question. Jesus, which command is most important of all? Which command is most important? This is a simple yet profound question. In other words, the scribe is asking Jesus, what does God want? What does God desire? What is the most important thing to obey? Out of all these commands, can you boil it down for us, Jesus? Can you simplify it for us? Can you summarize it for us? Sum it up. All of God's instructions found in the Old Testament. Can you do that in, in one command? And at first glance, this might seem like a friendly question, but, but don't miss it. The scribe is testing Jesus. 
The scribe is wondering if Jesus really knows what he's talking about. Hey, Jesus, prove to us that you really know God. What does God want? And while it's a sharp question, the question from the scribe seems more genuine than the rest of the questions thrown at Jesus this day. He asks, what is the greatest? What is the most important to obey? What's the bottom line? Can you give it to us in one command? And a little background to this to help us, if you're not familiar with it, is the, the, to understand this scribe's question, we need to know that there were 613 commands that were found in the Mosaic Law. Can you imagine being that person that's going through and counting all of them? So before Jesus arrives on the scene, they were able to find 613 commands or precepts, 248 positive ones, do this, 365 negative ones, don't do this. And I know what you're thinking, that's a lot to know and a lot to live out. I mean, can you imagine how crushed you would feel to have to try to keep all of these 613 commands all the time? I mean, I can barely keep track of 10 Along with these 613 commands, they, they, there were regular discussions, there were regular debates to which command had more importance than the other, which held more weight, which should have more focus and attention, which command is most important of all, the scribe asks. And it's not some random question. This is a well-known theological debate of the day. Jesus, there's 613 laws. What is the most important? Summarize it for us. And it's fascinating, we can see through the Bible that Moses, he got it down to 10, the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. David, he got it down to 11 in Psalms 15. Isaiah got it down to six commands, Isaiah 35, 15. Micah boiled it down to three, Micah 6, 8. Isaiah also boiled it down to three in Isaiah 56, 1. Jesus, out of all these commands, can you give it to us in one? What does God want or what is the proper summary of one's responsibility to God. And so this is the question. And Jesus answers the question, the second part. Follow with me in verse 29. Jesus answered the teacher of the law and he said, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment, singular, greater than these. And so Jesus quotes the Bible to the Bible expert. Jesus' answer um, does not focus on religion, do's and don'ts, but on relationship. God places value on relationship. God is all about committed relationships. And so what does Jesus do here? It's hard to kind of be, to, to, to track it. Jesus, he combines, he, he sandwiches, he super glues together two Bible passages. Jesus directs the scribe's attention to Deuteronomy 6.5 and to Leviticus 19.18. Deuteronomy 6, um, it's the Shema, a familiar passage for the Jewish people that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Similar, exactly what Jesus said. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. And so for the Jewish people, they would recite this daily, day and night. It would serve as a reminder to them that I will only and completely love and devote my life to God, to know God, to love God with all that I am. And so Jesus starts out with a good answer, but it's not a new answer. No Jewish person would disagree with this statement. Jesus begins by giving the textbook biblical answer. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, love God with all that you are, and then he pairs it, he parallels it with, a great, with another great command found in Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to share an embarrassing story with you. Yesterday, I cruised over to a coffee shop, and uh, it's kind of like a, a no-name coffee shop near my house. <laughs> and uh, after studying this passage this week, like loving God, loving neighbors, and uh, I order a large iced coffee. And she's like, is a cold brew okay? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And so she goes and takes the cup and fills it with ice, right? Because we pay a lot of money for ice. And then she fills the cold brew up, but it only reaches like three quarters of, of the fill. And so she looks around, do we have any other cold brew? And they're, they're completely out. And so what does she do? She reaches in and pours more ice on top, but it's still like an inch from the top. And I order a large cold brew. And I remember standing there and she like offers me the cup and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, this is, this is weird. Like I you know, I'm trying to love my neighbor, but like I ordered a large one. Like if you ordered a steak and part of your steak is gone, like you'd be a little angry. <laughs> and so I literally stood there and for like 15, 20 seconds, we're trying to make an agreement. Like, what do I do? He's like, all right. The guy in the back's like, I can pour, you know, a shot of espresso on top. I'm like, that's not what I ordered. And I just like, after studying things, I come to the realization that I fail to love my neighbor. And Jesus compares, he parallels this commandment in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema with Leviticus 19, 18. It's so important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? The people you are in contact with. Close your eyes, open up your eyes. Wherever you're at, that's your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus combines the love of God with the love of others. Jesus responds by identifying that the love of God, this vertical relationship that we have with God, and the love for our neighbors, when we open up our eyes, whoever is that with us that we see, that we interact with, this horizontal relationship, this is the greatest. Rather than an either-or approach, Jesus focused on a both-and. Jesus teaches that the heart of the law is an expression of loving God and loving others. Loving your neighbor, those around you, flows out of loving God with all you are. That's a big idea. Loving God Loving your neighbor flows out of loving God with all that you are. This is the great singular command. Love God. Love others. Love is expressed through how you treat the person right next to you. In your coffee shop, your coworker, your neighbor, person you just come into contact with. You see, Jesus didn't say love God and love your family. Jesus didn't say love God and love your best friend. Jesus didn't say love God and love your dog. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. The same sacrificial, costly love that I have for, for my wife and my kids, I'm also called to have for others. I mean, I would for sure jump in front of a bus for my kids and my wife, but for you guys, I don't know. I'm just joking. This answer is incredibly profound. How we respond to loving God will, return, will determine how we respond to loving others. To love God is to love others. To love others is to love God. It's together. To love him with all that you have, with all that you are, with all that you got, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It might look, as we look at the passage, like two commands, but it's one. There's a designed to be together, and they cannot be split. One author writes this, it says, Jesus wasn't asked for two top commands. He was asked for the greatest command. 
But in his response, Jesus showed that he wouldn't let the love, let us separate love from God from love from one another. He knew that loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength without an equal commitment to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves could lead to expressions of religious piety that ignores the hurting people around us or, act, or worse, actually hurts the people around us. And so Jesus ties these two commands together. The primary way we love God is through loving others and vice versa. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love others the way that Jesus loved them. John 13, 35 through 30, uh, 34 through 35 says this, A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you have a sticker on the back of your car, maybe you need to put this one on there. Love God with all that you have. Love him with all that you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe on social media, you can change your bio. Just put that there. It's so good. Jesus responds, if we know God, we love God, we love others, we will fulfill the whole law. A little bit more of that context is found in Matthew chapter 22 because it talks about this as well. So first, the scribe asks a question and then second, Jesus answers the question and third, the scribe approves of Jesus' response. Follow with me in verse 32 through 33. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one na- one's neighbor as oneself. Yet there's an addition. He said, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is an amazing thing in the text. The man agrees with Jesus. This is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where a religious leader agrees with Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? This scribe, this Bible expert adds these words. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, is much more than all whole offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The love of God and the love of others exceeds these things. Hosea 6.6 6 says this, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What is the scribe saying in response? He's saying, you're correct, Jesus. Everything that God wanted in the Old Testament, all of those 613 laws we counted up, Give or take, all of those are only important if they're an expression of love. Expression of love for God and a love for others. Without love for God and love for others, they're completely worthless. Without love for God and love for others, it's just empty rituals, empty routines, empty rules, and empty religion. The big idea for us is that we are called to be love-focused in all that we do. We're to experience vertical love for God and horizontal love for one another, and it is an all-of-us type of love. And once we understand the gospel and grow in the gospel and see Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, we let our vertical love we receive from God through Christ, by his Spirit, be freely given out, freely poured out, freely dispensed to others we come in contact with in work, in person, online, all of it. It was funny, as I was preparing the sermon, I was kind of like, I was dialing it in, I'm almost done, getting to the conclusion, and my, my mom calls. Have you ever been, like, um, in a meeting or somewhere where you're like, I just can't talk to anybody right now? But the phone rings, it goes to the second ring, and I was thinking through this, if God values relationships, 
relationships are more important than tasks. So I picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, I'm just putting together my sermon. She's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll, I'll let you go, I'll let you go. I was like, no, you're more important. Something that the text clearly jumps out to me this week. Relationships are more important than tasks. Relationships are more important than fill in the blank. Loving God and loving others is more important than fill in the blank. Seeing God's commands through the lens of love, it's a game changer. And so when you read through scriptures and you read through things like, you shouldn't have other gods before me, what does that mean? It means we're supposed to love God supremely. We're supposed to love God with all that we are. We see passages like, don't commit adultery. What does that mean? It means we're supposed to be a faithful and loving spouse. When we see passages and make commands that say, don't steal, what does it mean? We're supposed to be loving and generous people. It's so easy for us to think, oh, I, I checked off that box. I didn't do that. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. We put it in the formula of love and it's all focused on loving God and loving others. To be like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. And when our relationships are hurting, what's the first thing we should do? Spend time with God the Father. Spend time with, with your Savior and let that fix the relationship problems we have with one another. Be love-focused. Be Jesus-focused. It is all about him. And the scribe in this passage is getting, he's getting it. He's getting close. What does God want? During this time, Old Testament traditions, the religious system during this time was focused on obedience to the law, God's command. And yes, I don't think they were so naive to think that they didn't fail, but when they failed, they would offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to cover those failures and those sins. And if you did that, then you're good. You're in. But what Jesus is doing is he's coming here. He's focusing the lens so everybody can see clearly. He's changing the people's motivations and their heart and their affections. He asked the question. Jesus answered it. The scribe approves of it. And fourth. And last, Jesus affirms the scribe. He says, you're close, and offers an invitation. Follow with me in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him, Jesus, any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. This is a slight warning, but it's also an invitation you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's a warning that you might have a Bible degree, maybe you have a, a godly life, fill in the blank, but there might be still distance between you and God. That's what he's saying to the scribe. You may know all these things. You may appear to have it all together, but there's still distance between you and God. You're far, but you're, you're not in. You're close, but you're still not safe. There's still more. What else is there? What brings a person into the kingdom? Is it knowledge of scripture? Is it agreement with God's laws? Both knowledge and agreement are not enough. And so by discussing the law, the scribe has come close to a relationship with Jesus. When Jesus finish, finishes speaking in this group, those that were listening, they didn't think, oh, that's cute, Jesus. Love God, love others. That's a good word. That was really, that was really nice. Jesus cuts through all the categories of the religious elite on how they are to live a good moral life. He completely defines the motives by keeping the commandments. It's love. John 5, 
39 says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus. And so what's the end of the story for the scribe? What happens after his interaction with Jesus? We don't know, but we know that he was close to receiving salvation. So back to our question, what does God want? What does God desire? He desires relationships. He wants a relationship. And you may be thinking, like I do, this is a beautiful and a profound statement from Jesus to love God and to love others. And maybe you're like me and you're thinking that you don't love God with all that you are, that you don't love your neighbor as yourself, that you don't even love yourself the way that you, the way that you should. I felt this as I've been studying this passage, that without Jesus, I'm lost, that Jesus raises the bar. He sets a high command that, that none of us can actually accomplish. What does God want? He wants a relationship. There is nothing we can do to get right before God. Knowledge can bring us near, but only Jesus can get us to God. Knowledge can bring us near, but Jesus is the only one that can get us to God. And God loved the world in this way that he gave his son. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the only one who can love the Father and others perfectly. So Jesus is headed to the cross. Mark, the beginning of it, is asking the question, who is Jesus? The second part of Mark is, why did Jesus have to die? On the cross is the only place that we can see this perfect, love-focused life on display. A love that says, I'll die for you. I fulfilled the law for you, all of God's commands at the cross. It's the big idea. Jesus loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself, and he did this perfectly, taking all of our sins, taking all of our imperfections. What we do is not enough, but what Jesus has done is enough, and it's the good news. And we celebrate that together as a church family. It is, it is a beautiful thing. And so let me pray. Let's continue to worship um, God through, through music, through our conversations after this service. And uh, let's give this day to him. Remember what he has done for us. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much. Um, that you are so good. Thank you so much, Lord, that you give us this command to love you and to love others. What is our job? Our job is to love you, to love others, and our job is to trust in your son, Jesus, who loved God and who loved others perfectly on our behalf. Lord, I'm even thinking through this, my interactions this past week, my interactions this week. Lord, there might be areas of our lives where we just feel shame, we feel guilt, where we feel like we don't measure up. Lord, you took those on the cross through your death, through your son's death and resurrection. I pray, Lord, as we um, just live out this week um, and remind ourselves of this truth of what the good news is all about as we prepare our, our hearts and our minds for next week when Brandon will talk about freedom in Christ. May we live as free people knowing, Lord, that you paid the ultimate price, that you love us, that you like us, that, uh, that you are everything. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.